Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Paul Roberts, who is the CEO of Predictive Discovery. We talk about their portfolio approach to mining, the 10 years uh, in the making so far. And the market hasn't really taken note up, up until three weeks ago when their drill results from Guinea uh, got the market excited. Um, and we'll talk about those in the conversation. They also have assets in Burkina Faso and Cote d'Ivoire. Burkina Faso, they're going to park up for now because of what's happening in country. They are in northern Burkina Faso. It's a little bit difficult to do business there with the terrorist and criminal enterprise. Cote d'Ivoire, they've got a joint venture with Resolute Mining. We'll wait to see what comes out of that in, during the next 12 months or so. Lost discussed, business model, uh, in- interesting, uh, honest guy. Uh, enjoy the podcast. Paul, how are you doing, sir? Hi, Matthew. Nice to be here. Well, great. So you're in Perth, at the office. I am indeed. Life is, you're back to normal, are you? Apart from the going to Africa bit. Apart from the bit about going to Africa. Yes. <laughs> right, okay. Well, thanks for joining us uh, today. Um, we are going to hear about um, predictive discovery. Um, which is great, first time for us. Um, so why don't you kick off first and give us that one minute overview and then we can pick it up from there. Okay, well, Predictive is a, a gold exploration company. Uh, we, we have been operating for over a decade in uh, Francophone, West Africa, and uh, we are Greenfields Explorer. We have a very large portfolio of projects scattered across three countries. And uh, the immediate focus for us right now is the Kinninkar project in Guinea, where we've made a gold discovery. Fantastic. Now, I've um, heard you describe yourself as a portfolio company, and you've just used the phrase, you know, Greenfield Explorer. So I'm interested in understanding, as an investor, I'm interested in understanding what is it that I would be investing into. So can you just expand on your business plan? You know, what are you, you've been at it 10 years. So, you know, what have you, what have you got and how have you got there? And what's the plan going forward? As I said, we're a Greenfield Explorer. And the truth is that if you're going to be successful as a Greenfields Explorer, you can't just have one project. You have to have many projects. So you've got to have, as I say, lots of shots of the title. And so the reason the portfolio exists is to give us lots of shots of the title. Um, and, um, and that's essentially how we've got there. I, I mean, it's certainly true that we started as a single project explorer in Burkina Faso. And when that became too difficult for us, uh, then we expanded our horizons and we took on joint venture partners so that because obviously you can't have 16 projects and fund all of them. So you need other people to pay, pay uh, and spend uh, quite a lot of the money. And so that's what we've done. But we've always had the, the weather eye of coming up with a project, um, ideally a project where you get good results early, where you can take it all the way through to development if necessary. Um, and we seem to be in that phase in our history now. So we have that portfolio, we have the joint ventures, they're generating results. Um, and, uh, and in Guinea, we decided, and, and that was in conversation with our shareholders, that we wouldn't do, we would intentionally not go down the joint venture route in Guinea. And so it's different in that respect. Um, we'd pick up projects which are either 100% from the get-go, which is what Kaninko is, or projects where we could do a deal so we could get 100%. Um, and, and certainly we were, we were looking to get the kind of success of, that we've had, or we appear to have had, um, and enable us to take the project all the way through. One other thing I might say, and it is important to our game plan is, 
I'm a geologist and and uh, I'm very happy to be a Greenfields Explorer. I'm very happy that we've that we've made discoveries along the way, and particularly this Kininko discovery, but I'm not a mine developer. And and so that doesn't mean to say that that um, this project is for sale. What it means to say is that as a company, should this project go all the way through successfully to feasibility study and beyond, I'm not going to be the chief executive. I'm not going to build the mine. Yeah, I, to be honest, I think, uh, and there are honourable exceptions, I don't think geologists build the best mines. And so we would bring in a mining engineer, I would step aside and do my geology thing, and we get someone who really knows how to build a uh, mine to build the mine. Okay, so you know who you are, so that's good. Most some people don't, so that's not bad. But let's talk about the last 10 years. I want to see what you've learned along the way, because obviously you saw a massive um, peak in uh, share price late 16 through 17, and then it kind of sort of dwindled down to quite a, you know, quite a low uh, level in 19 and pretty much most of last year. I'm interested in what you learned along that way because you described quite a good story about what you want to be and what you should and shouldn't be in terms of it shouldn't be a single asset, you should have a portfolio approach, you should JV and of course you know develop your own asset. So, so what happened back then? Why did you change tack and you know, what did you learn? Well, to answer the question about why we changed tack, we changed tack to stay alive. Um, so we, we started off in, in 2010, uh, we had a group of projects in Burkina Faso, we had success, but we didn't have enough success, we lost momentum on that project. And, and, and as a consequence, we had to do something else. Um, we had to, to operate at lower overheads. Um, and of course, we fell into the joint ventures. We went down the road of being a prospect generator for a while, which actually was was a um, a suitable tactic, if you like, uh, during that period when the market was very quiet and very difficult, because we continued to generate news flow and good results. Um, but what became clear to us through that was that that um, at least on the ASX, it's a bit different uh, on the TSXV, but at least on the ASX. We needed to be hundred. We needed to have hundred percent projects. So, so, um, so I learned a few things along the way. The first thing in Burkina Faso, I learned um, that you can't persist too long with a project, and the reality is we we stuck at it for too long. Not an easy project. Plenty of mineralisation there, but multi-pit opportunity. Lots of money has to be spent some continuity problems in some of some of the ore deposits. So all quite difficult. So so you've got to be cold, you've got to cut, you've got to walk away, or at the very least, you've got to get a partner in and let them spend the money rather than spend it yourself. And we took too long to get to that point. The lesson that we also learned was um, that that you've got to be very careful with your money, kind of whatever happens. Now, I, we all know that. Um, but, but you have to be, you know, broken a little bit by events to understand what that really means. Um, and so, so we've learned how to be very lean. Uh, and and uh, the third thing that we learned is what I said, is, is that we needed to have a 100% project. We needed that to get traction on, on the ASX. The reality was that we got that run in 2016. We got the other one in 2019. We were minority holders. They're not sustainable rises. And they're not sustainable rises for two reasons. The first is that if you've got a minority interest, people are less interested. 
And the second reason is if you're on, in joint venture, in almost all cases, the pace of news flow is not the pace of news flow you need to sustain the push. Now that we're in, in Guinea, we've got a project, we can sustain the, the rate of news flow, we're in a far better position. Okay, again, honest response. Um, it's kind of, it feels to me it's a case of you've learned on someone else's dime, but I'm interested in you taking those things forward, those learnings forward and seeing what you're gonna do with this, uh, with this, well, this new setup, okay? So, um, can we? You, you, you're, you're in Guinea, and we want to talk about that. That's the, that's the drive of, of, of this conversation. I think this is what we should be focused on. But you've got some stuff going on in Cote d'Ivoire and uh, and uh, Burkina Faso as well. Let's get those out of the way. So Burkina Faso, what's happening in Burkina Faso? Slightly exciting times in country. We've got stories of terrorist incursions, whether they actually be uh, criminal enterprise or, or terrorism, we, we no one knows. But some companies have been affected. We talked about you know, Semaphos and you know, deaths last year, huge displacement of peoples. Um, at the same time, we're speaking to lots of companies uh, here in Burkina Faso doing just fine, business as usual. So what's your interpretation of what's going on in Burkina Faso? Well, it's variable depending on where you are. Um, our projects are in northeast Burkina Faso. Um, and, and so northeast Burkina Faso is where, where there, there have been a number of of incidents, and indeed, when you say either they're terrorists, are they bandits? They're both. So you know, in fact, quite often they're bandits who become terrorists. So you know, you can you know, pick pick what you choose, really. Um, so the the issue for us, there's a couple of issues for us in in North Burkina Faso. The first is that we're not at a development phase, and and so if you want to do the earlier stage exploration. You get, you, you get into a problem of how much security you've got to supply to your people to do that work. Um, also, the, the security situation across our tenement package, which actually runs over 100 kilometres of strike from the Niger border down towards the Golden Rim property, um, is different. So up in the northeast, not possible to work. Um, further to the southwest, yes, possible to work, but you've got to have you know, high tolerance to physical risk and you have to have a plan. And really, in my view, what you need to do is you've got to, you've got to have a plan to take that project, you know, some very nice mineralization in there and put it on the, on the critical path towards turning to a mine as quickly as you can. Because once you have a mining operation, you can secure it. So right far up in the northeast, you've got Essacan, the most at-risk location in the country, operating never stopped operating. Yes, we had a problem with Wungu um, to the south of us, um, also quite close to the Niger border. Um, but, you know, and, and clearly there was, there was a dreadful incident that occurred with them, but the fact is that they're still operating. So it's certainly possible to operate in Burkina Faso, but you've got to think about that early stage exploration, particularly in that northeastern part of the country where um, there is more terrorist activity than there has been in other places. So right now, to answer your question, What's happening there? Right, we're not doing any work right now. We're in conversation with our joint venture partner about where to take it next. I do believe this is a project that has a place uh, within within a, a future mine development. But I also think that it needs to be a company that's got the tolerance for that kind of physical risk. And for us, we have much better, much safer fishes to fry 
in other places. Okay, so the, would you say there's zero, zero value attributed to your Burkina Faso asset, and I guess at the same time min, minimal outlay to kind of keep keep it ticking over in terms of licenses, permits, and, and so forth? Yeah, the market attributes no value to that project. Um, I think there is intrinsic value in it. So there's, there's a di- you know, divergence between those two things. But not on your balance sheet? No. 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 Okay. It could be worth something at some point in the future, depending on how things pan out. That's fine. That's fair enough. Um, let's talk about uh, Cote d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast, as right. people used to call it. Um, what's, uh, what's happening there? Right. So, so the activity that's going on there right now is on the Bundiali project, which is one of the joint venture projects with Resolute Mining. Yeah. Um, and and there, there is a discovery that was made in 2016 at the Nyangui Prospect. Um, and and we, we, we had a six kilometre long soil anomaly. We drilled two kilometres of it. We got some very nice results, some very high grades in places. Um, and and uh, we've, we've defined mineralisation of about a kilometre. And as it stands, not a million ounces. Potentially, if you can go take it to depth, you might be able to get there. But the but the uh, the work that hasn't been done is to explore the, the the four kilometers to the north, and that's what's happening right now. Okay. Um, so so there's echoed drilling, there's power auger drilling, there's some there's some drilling to the south as well, and that's what Resolute's doing. So they're actively working away on that, and I'm hoping to see some news out of that over the next one or two months. Um, okay. And then and then. Uh, the other project, the other resolute project, is the Kisidugu North, um, and and there we have the Waragi South Discovery. Forgive me for the complicated names. Um, and and there, there, there's it's actually quite an interesting body. In fact, I think it's the most interesting body that we found in Cote d'Ivoire so far. It's a bit strike limited. It's quite fat. Um, uh, we've drilled it. We we announced um, some some good drill results, you know, up to 50 metre widths uh, on the 16th of April, just the day after we, we announced the Guinea results. Um, and and the thing continues uh, down to depth. You know, we drilled it to about 180 metres vertical. But the thing that's most interesting about it is that it's it's a granite-hosted body uh, in a zone of anomalies that runs for 17 kilometres. Um, and there's a 10-kilometre section there which is directly along strike, appears to be on a structure, which is seeing essentially no drilling at all. So there's a real possibility of finding more of these bodies, and then I think that we'd have a really interesting project. Okay, so talk to me about the, the relationship with Resolute, because, again, we, many, many companies that we talk to who bring in JV partners who are big, you know, certain size, and Resolute's getting up to that billion-dollar level. Um, there are some projects which interest them more than others, and the terms of the agreement in terms of spend, the time, how quickly they've got to spend that, what they've got to do, and you know they've got the option of exiting at any at any point. With the conversation, you're straight talking guys. So with the conversations that you're having with Resolute, is what they're seeing interesting enough to kind of keep them there and keep spending money and 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 keep that JV in place? Well, certainly it is for the next twelve months, and okay. this is expiration. So. So um, uh, they're very committed to the current program uh, that we're on, um, and uh, we we certainly expect them to go back to Fekisiduga North and do more. They're not doing anything right now. We're running up into the rainy season. Um, they, I expect that they'll be back there uh, before Christmas, and I expect that they'll be continuing to do work equally with Bundiali. Um, you know, I, there's there's uh, unfinished business there, no doubt, uh, and they're interested in doing that work. And in terms of their greenfields exploration, 
investment, I, I would have thought that this is the largest greenfields investment they've got. So they're very, they're, right now they're very committed to it. Um, I would have thought, and I'm not, I don't want to verbal them, but I would have thought uh, that if they can't see something like a couple of million ounces in a project, um, then they're, going, they're likely uh, to step back. And then, of course, we'll have a conversation. And uh, it may be uh, that we'll try and get the project back from them because something of a smaller scale might be of interest to us when it's not of interest to them. But that's often the future. Yeah, I think I think it's the the way these things play out typically. So, you, but you think that couple of million ounce thing is the their threshold for moving forward or or not? That, that's interesting. And so, remind me the the uh, obligations in terms of the amount of money they've got to spend during this twelve month period. Well, in fact, we we the joint venture has been formed. It's been formed for a number of years. Um, we are a contributing partner at this point. So it's either contribute or dilute. We have a twenty three and a half percent equity. Um, and and uh, so you know it means that the, the call on treasury isn't isn't too great. Um, we have the opportunity every six months to decide whether we're going to contribute in the program that's presented to us every six months, and we will be seeing another program presented to us early July, and then we will have to make a choice as to whether we want to commit to contributing to, to that or not, um, and that will be entirely on the basis of of how excited we are by that particular project and what we see as the opportunity. But you've been diluting um, so far along that really. We, that we, we diluted you? we diluted up until the end of June. Well, we, we've contributed partly, we've diluted partly. So we had a dilution phase that ended in June last year. Um, and uh, we're, we're now in a contribution phase. Um, over Since, since uh, uh, July 1, uh, taking us through to to uh, the end of this month, and then and then we'll make a choice. Okay. And what sort of money? So, would you be obliged to, if you decide to continue, would you be obliged to spend? Well, I mean, there's there's a, a, there's two parts to that question. Firstly, there 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 are some some contributions that we have to make because uh, billing has come quite late, um, and um, we're probably talking over over the the current twelve month period of of something um, a bit shy of a million dollars. Um, and then going forward, I'm not sure. It depends what budget they present. And I, and I haven't got that budget, so I can't Yeah, no, I just wanted to know what you knew today, because obviously, yeah. and we're going to talk about Guinea in a second, um, you've got some big choices there, because from your trail results, I suspect you, you like what you see in Guinea, and you decided to be 100% on that. So, okay, so, so that relationship's ongoing, and we'll get updates during the year. Again, same question. Do you think the market's attributing much value to that? I would say overall it's not, um, and and that's clear because obviously we were sitting on a on a very low market capitalisation, and all of that was there. However, the market has changed because people are now are now much more interested in predictive, and there are some people on our register who attribute value to that joint venture, and some who don't. I mean, obviously, there's a there's a new crop of investors, and some of them really like the portfolio approach and understand uh, that there's more opportunity. So, in a way, the Guinea discovery actually adds value to the rest of the portfolio in, in some way. Okay, fine. Um, and it's worth sort of saying you, you have in both both in Burkina and Cote d'Ivoire you have various options in terms of other permits and JV, but they they they're not significant, but they could be worth something at some point, depending on what you, how you choose to monetize those. 
we'll come back to them. Right, okay. So let's talk about the thing we're here to talk about, which is what's been going on in Guinea. The market got very, very excited with some drill results recently. So this year, around the time of, you know, people feeling all doom and gloom about COVID-19, um, you put out some results and we, you saw, I said in your presentation, 733% gain quickest in 48 hour period. So obviously people like what they heard very quickly and obviously then it kind of it settled down a bit um, since then. So um, why don't you tell us about what those results were, what you think you've got, what you, well, what you understand of what you've got today. Okay, so I mean, what the results were and the, things, the thing that was surprising about them and I think that the, the reason the market liked them is that we got some high grade intercepts uh, and also that most of the drill holes that we reported, and we reported 24 holes, were mineralised. Um, so in terms of reportable intercepts, probably 70, 80% or maybe 70% of, of every, every uh, hole, or, or rather the 24 holes, had reportable uh, mineralisation now. So, which is a pretty remarkable result. And what it, what it was telling us was, was that we had something that could actually produce some quite high grades, um, that uh, a number of these holes started mineralization, a number of holes stopped mineralization, some holes were mineralized the whole length. Um, and for the most part, uh, we, we didn't test the whole of our target. So the mineralization's open to the east, it's open to the west, it's open to the north, it's open to the south, it's open to depth. So, so and, you, and on the, these sections, you see mineralization as much as 150 meters width. And we, we don't know what the full width extent is. And that's in the context of, of um, a bedrock anomaly from power auger drilling, which is up to 300 meters wide. So it looks like something which is large. Um, and of course, it's open to the north and south. Subsequently, um, we've reported power auger drilling, and we had something which was about 500 metres long, and now it's a kilometre long. And then on the northernmost line, we got, you know, one of the best hits we got out of power auger. So it looks as if it's open to the north, and indeed, in my opinion, it's open to the south as well. So, so people saw space, they saw grade, uh, they saw mineralisation from surface, and I think that's what excited. Yeah, it's quite interesting because you know most people associate with that part of West Africa with the Beremian, you know, Green Belt, um, Greenstone Belt. Um, these, but those are one to four gram type levels. I think we've maybe rocks gold or sort of eight to ten in places. You, you were hitting numbers bigger than that. Was that is that unusual for the area or, is it, or very common? Well, I think the thing is for the Beremian, you have you have everything. Right, and and uh, wherever you go, you have everything. So, so people quite often. And I remember an investor coming up to me and saying, "I don't want to invest in Burkina Faso because everything's low grade there." Well, it's, it's a meaningless comment. Um, it's a it's an orogenic, it's an enormous orogenic gold belt. It contains very high grades. You have a Wasi, one of the great ore bodies of the world, with very high grades. You have Yaramoko, um, and uh, so you have high grades and low grades. In in terms of what we've got in so far. We've got both, uh, but the, the point that I emphasise is, and this is particularly because when I reported the grades, I reported them at a quarter gram cutoff, um, and so I included in the reportable grades are grades of, of um, you know holes which have maybe 50 metres of, of half to one gram, 
And of course, that begs the question as to whether that works. And certainly for these kinds of deposits, it does. And the, the classic example is Sagiri. So Sagiri has um, been operating for a long time. It's operated by Anglo Gold. Um, it, hasn't, it hasn't operated for, for any significant period of time with a head grade of above a gram. And so the question is, well, why is that? And the answer is because Sagiri has, and Leafa too, which is an all gold operation, uh, they benefit from having these very broad zones of quite thick oxide mineralization. And when you have those broad zones of oxide mineralization, and when I'm talking about oxide, I'm talking about soft saprolite. So soft saprolite is basically clay rock. Uh, in most cases, you could take an excavator in, apart from the very top laterite layer, which is a bit hard, take an excavator and dig it up. But also you get other benefits. So when you start from surface, it means you don't have a waste strip to worry about. Um, when you've got something which is a couple of hundred meters wide, you're, uh, and, and within it, there's very little waste. Your waste wall ratio is negligible. I mean, it's so small uh, compared with what you see normally. Um, because you're in oxide and you have quite a good thickness of oxide, you get very good recoveries. Uh, and then when you put it into a mill, uh, in the first phase of a mill, you've got very soft material. So the energy costs are very low. So you can mine these things at sub one gram. 2019, for example, um, Anglo Gold at Suguri, their recovered head grade was 0.75 grams a tonne. Um, and if you have a look at the ratio of their hard rock and their, and their oxide uh, reserves, most of what they put through, they don't say, but most of what they put through was probably hard rock. Now, how can you possibly run a hard rock mine at 0.75 grams a tonne? Well, it's all about what that broad zone gives you in terms of strip ratio. So if you've got something that's a couple of hundred metres wide and it's all been ore, um, then you can take your pit down a couple of hundred metres and a lot of what will be waste strip for other people is not waste strip for you. So it's those benefits. So, you know, in the long run, do I expect this to be a 10 gram deposit? No. But do I expect it to have very good economics? If we continue to find the kind of material that we've got, I, I think it's going to have a tremendous um, start, which will, of course, pay back a lot of capital. Okay. How much cash have you got? 10, 10 million Aussie. Got 10 million. So you, you, did, you did a raise recently in May. Is that right? Was it May or was it June? Oh, well, it's just completed. Just completed, just so completed. completed okay. June. Yeah, okay, so completed on the, on the 16th of June, yeah. Got it, okay. And you'd raised 2 million prior to that. How much have you raised in total in the year 10 years? To be honest, I couldn't answer that question, but it would be, uh, well, it would probably be Thirty to forty million dollars. Right. Okay. And obviously, recently th things have picked up. You're around fifty-three, fifty-four million Aussie um, as of the last two, three months, which is great. Um, what do you think is going to happen? Um, you know, with, with long-suffering shareholders, you, you know, you have this peak. People, you went up to sixteen, seventeen cents. Do you? Are you worried about an overhang on the shares? People selling, are you going to be allowed to grow? Are you going to have the chance to breathe um, and develop this project or are people going to be constantly selling down? Because I know Arm uh, recently, recently sold some stock that didn't help you, kind of had a negative effect. How do you counter that? Well, I, to be honest, I think that a lot of the tired sellers have gone um, and that's because the turnover in the stock has been mind-bogglingly large, frankly. Um, and, and even over the last week, we've seen trades of 30 to 40 million shares a day. Um, so yes, certainly Aurora sold uh, part of their holding uh, 
to be honest, I, what surprised me was just how well the market absorbed it. Yes, there was a drop, and particularly when the when the market saw that Aurora had sold uh, some of their shares, that um, clearly people um, started to worry there was an overhang. But in reality, over the last few days, uh, we've seen quite a lot of that wash through. Um, and indeed, I, I would think that, that that bit of weakness was associated with um, the the finalisation of the financing, and that's simply because people were issued stock at five cents, and it was trading at seven to eight cents, and so obviously people people are, are taking profits, but that's not that's not tied holders. A lot of the tied holders went in that first flush of liquidity, which was enormous. Okay. Um, so you know, right now, I, I mean, we we closed today above eight cents, um, and you know, I think that's a that's a remarkably good result. Yeah, it seems to be. It's all kind of new, the flush of youth. Uh, there, there were this new look company, new plan company. It, it, it all helps when the market cap's there and people are excited. Um, what are you going to do with your nine million bucks? Where's that being spent? Clearly, you said to me, nothing in Burkina Faso, unlikely to have spent too much in Cote d'Ivoire. So what's the money actually going on? Well, there'll be a little bit of money spent in Burkina Faso. There is money being spent in Cote d'Ivoire, um, and we have to make choices on that every six months. But the bulk of money, of course, is going to go in, in Guinea, and the bulk of that will go on Kaninko. Um, and so so we've we've laid out a program. It's very clear. It's quite simple um, to, to um, grow Kaninko as quickly as we can, and it has three components. One component is power auger. Power auger, we're drilling, we're drilling holes. A post hole digger can drill down to 20 meters, and we we found um, Northeast Bank Cam with that, and so we're just continuing to use that uh, to increase the footprint. So we're interested in that quarter gram footprint uh, because that encapsulates or appears to encapsulate the mineralization that lies underneath, um, and so we've we've allocated 20,000 meters of power auger drilling, and that's a very active program now. And that's that uh, is has been obviously it's been a long strike from Northeast Bankam. There's more that we just announced the other day, which goes a little bit further to the north in the Saman permit, um, and we're we're looking forward to seeing results from that. We've also drilled to the south of there, um, and by the time we're done there, we'll have drilled a couple of kilometers to the south of there. Uh, and then over in the west of the property, uh, we're looking for more. So we're hoping to 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 have a much bigger footprint of oxide mineralization. That's the first thing. The second is the RC. Uh, currently, the RC is drilling quite shallow. It's it's not as shallow. So you know the the early drilling was just the power August to 20 meters. Uh, the air core was to 38 meters. Um, the RC is now to 76 meters, and the purpose of that is to define this oxide mineralization. You know, it is the low-hanging fruit. The more oxide mineralization we've got, the more attractive this property becomes. Um, and then, of course, uh, the third component is diamond drilling. You know, in the, in the, the medium term, and when I say the medium term, I'm talking about the next three to six months, it'll be combined RC and diamond drilling. But right now, we've got a diamond drill rig there working away and all that it's doing for us is helping us understand what this this beast is underneath. So, um, so we're we're uh, drilling holes a, a couple of different directions uh, at various parts of, of the body that we know of. Um, we're looking at the geology underneath. Uh, we're, we're drilling and uh, we've drilled a couple of close uh, holes relatively close together so that we can we can see what the three D disposition is of the of these uh, granitic intrusions. 
all to help us guide us how to drill this at greater depth. And, and to give us a bit of an idea of what, what grade does as you, you go through that oxide uh, primary transition. So that's what we're doing now. Uh, we're, we're, in terms of the RC and diamond drilling, we're expecting to drill eight to 10,000 metres over, over the next two months. So not too fast. Um, and I don't want to go too fast at this point because I want to understand the body. So you, you talked earlier about lessons learned from the, the previous 10 years and keeping costs down as one of them. And I assume you're using, remembering that and using uh, that uh, learning here. Um, but how do you go about planning the type of drilling that you need to do? You're a geologist, right? You're not, you, you said you're not a market guy per se, right? So are you getting excited about the geology or you know, what do you think or how do you think you need to talk to the market to con get them con to continue to be excited? Because in effect, you're back to being a, a single asset company in a way because you're focused, on, you're focused on what you've got. So how do you keep the market excited given again your learnings from previous um, you know, I mean, and, and what help are you getting? Because I know you've got a couple of uh, non-execs there, but are they advising you on how to go about doing this? Or are you just focusing on it from a pure geological perspective and trying to understand what you've got on the, in the ground? Well, I, you know, I do both. I, I mean, I'm the only managing director that Predictive's had, and so obviously I've done plenty of marketing. Um, and uh, uh, But that hasn't gone well. My, my point is that hasn't gone well up until, you know, the last two or three months when you've hit, you've hit the numbers. The, the grades have de de delivered that for you. So, And you've talked about in the past not being able to sustain the excitement in, of the story in the market. So, again, the, taking those learnings, what are you going to do different this time? The first thing is it's 100% on project. You know, the second thing is that we've got quite a lot of money in the bank um, and we have a program that's going to de deliver continuous news flow for the next six months. So the news flow is the critical element. Um, and when you're in joint ventures, you don't control the news flow. When you're 100% project, you do. So, I mean, that, that is the most important part of this. Um, and we are dependent on having good results. If we don't have good results, well, you know, that's, 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 it's a hard world, right? Um, um, but we're we're uh, very optimistic that we're going to get good results. I'm, but I'm focused on what it's the type of news flow that's important, right? So what so what 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 are you? How are you deciding? What, so what's the plan? How are you going to spend your money and your time and attribute your team's resources to certain things rather than others to make sure that the market's hearing the sorts of noises it needs to, whilst at the same time allowing you to deliver the process and the way that you think you should deliver it. So I'm interested in that thought process because a lot of small explorers suffer from the same issue. So I want to, want to understand what your solution is. Oh, okay. Well, well, of course, beyond news flow, you have to build a picture in people's minds of how the, this beast is growing. So, so, that, that, so there's, there's, there's got to be a, a visual element of it. I mean, obviously, as a geologist, you think in three dimensions. Most people don't. But, but what you've got to do is you've got to get that story across is as you expand it at surface, as you expand it at depth, this is going from something which is like this to something that's like that, hopefully. And, and, and when people can see it, then it become before we calculate a resource, because we won't calculate a resource un until next year, um, and we you know, promise the market that we're going to calculate a geologic resource by, by, by mid next year. Um, but what people have got to do is they've got to get this vision in their mind of how they can see that this is bigger than it was before and it's continually growing. 
and an idea of the great distribution within it. So I, that's that's the fundamental, really. Okay. Um, that sense of scale. Okay. No, that's interesting because again, if you look at the different business models, we've talked about rocks, gold in there. You're, you've said you're not going to be a mine builder or, or a producer. That's not where your core skill or what you want to do. That's, I'm talking about me. I'm not talking about predictive. Ah, okay. Gotcha. Predictive. Predictive. Predictive will be the company it needs to be to deliver value to its shareholders. What I'm saying is, I know what my limitations are, and my limita- my my task is to deliver an all body. Um, and we want we need over time, and indeed within the board we will we will um, uh, undoubtedly build skills within the management team so we can make that transition to to a a project team, um, and finally a. a a mine operating team will make that smooth transition and I'm not going to stand in the way of it. I'm going to do what I can do, which is to take it. I can take it through a feasibility, no problem whatsoever. But but uh, beyond that, we need to be sure that we've, we've done the succession planning so that we can get to the prize for everybody, which is a profitable operating mine. How many shares do you own? I've got um, five and a half million shares. Half a million shares. What's that? So that's yeah. right. Okay, okay. Bought in the open market. Oh, so I, I've I've um, contributed. You know, I mean, in the in the current rights issue, uh, I was absolutely limited to my my rights. The directors are the only people who couldn't actually oversubscribe because you're not allowed to under the rules. So I would have taken more if I could. Um, and I bought on market, and I've contributed to rights issues and placement. Right. Okay. So this new money coming in, is everyone getting a pay rise? <laughs> well, no one has got a pay rise at this point. Um, so we're just focusing on getting on with the job at this point. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, and so one, one last question. So who are the main shareholders? And you've got six, what, 640 million, 636 million shares out at the moment. Standard Aussie performance there, lots of shares. So um, who, are the, who are the big names that we'd recognise? Well, actually, it's over 800 million. Uh, oh, of course, with the new issue. Sorry. Now that the, fin- the right. finance is in, has been complete. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I thought you might ask me this question. The truth is that that um, there aren't very many people over the 5% level. And um, there's certainly uh, the capital raising has, has increased the institutional shareholding in the company. Um, but without asking the permission of those people, because they don't have to be identified, I'm not going to say who they are. Um, so who's who's there who is visible uh, or are visible? Uh, Capital Drilling or Capital DI, um, and they've and they've supported us over the last uh, couple of years now, um, and been involved in a number of financings, and they're a very supportive shareholder, um, and uh, you know I think they've done quite well out of it, which is I'm pleased. Um, and then apart from that, there's Lowell Resources Fund, so it's a, it's a small listed fund based in Melbourne and they also have done very well and so they've been enduring shareholders. Um, and then and then obviously there was Aurora, but Aurora's position is a lot smaller now. Um, and then apart from that, there's there's um, HBC nominees, which are obviously a, a number of groups. And then there are some a number of, of institutional shareholders that are quite well-known names uh, who've joined us, but until such time as they give me permission to say who they are, I can't say. Okay, so what's the point that, of which that you need to get to to attract more institutional shareholders on board? Because you know, right now you're kind of, you're, you're pretty much uh, an Aussie explorer retail story, which has its pros and its cons. Uh, but there's a point at which it um, it's advisable. 
to try and get more institutions on the book. So where, when, when do you think that moment is and what, you know, where do you think you need, what do you think you need to deliver to be able to get more institutional investors on board? You know, I would say a platform of evaluation is a resource accompanied by a strong metallurgical test work program. And, th- and we're doing both of those things. So that is the platform. Um, but there are institutional investors who come in earlier. Um, and so the truth is every hole we drill at depth that, that produces good results, um, every expansion of, of that oxide potential, uh, we're, I mean, we're on plenty of people's radar. And little by little, I think that we'll see more people coming on board as we build the picture of the volume of this body. Um, but but uh, once we get to the point that we've delivered, a, a, a subject to it being large enough, of course, um, a, a, a jork resource with a metallurgical test work, what you've got then, as long as the, the information's all out there, people can start thinking then about those critical questions uh, that will determine how valuable this thing could be. So, and then I think we'll see a lot more. So middle of, middle of next year to your timing. Middle of next year is the target. Yeah. Yeah. Of, if we can do it early, we will. Um, but of course, you have to uh, accept that resource when you're when you're doing uh, drill outs. Things can become compl- complicated. There's bits of the geology you don't, don't understand. You might have to drill some holes in a different direction and so on. You've got to allow for all of those things, um, and that's why I think uh, the middle of next year is a good a good timeline to aim for. Okay, well, it gives you a time to kind of build up relationships with with them between now and then, because I guess Absolutely. they haven't made too many coming through the door up until. Well, coming through the door at all for a while, um, you've got to get get them to understand the story, get relationship with them, and, and uh, show them that your strategy is working. Paul, thank you very much for your time today. Exciting story. Um, do stay in touch. Pick up the phone when uh, there's news. We'd like to see how things are progressing. Thank you. Okay. Thanks very much, Matthew. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast? or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.